uh, we have a very special, we, you know, we, we got a lot of feedback on guests lately, so we're doubling down. We're bringing you more guests. Uh, we have a very special guest uh, on the line today, Steli FD. Steli, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Damn, so if you don't know Steli, Steli is a legend. He's the CEO of a company called Close.io. And he has a podcast with a friend of ours called Heat and Shaw, and it's called The Startup Podcast. Please check it out. The Startup Chat. It's The Startup, startup Chat. chat. <laughs> damn. Oh, damn. I screwed uh, up already. Uh, no, that, love that. That, was on pur- that was on purpose. DC is a seeking, seeking wisdom egg. to the core. <laughs> no, there's no negative, bro. I All love right. them. So, so Steli, let, let, let's dig in. Like, what, you, 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 you actually, if, is this true you're a fan of Seeking Wisdom? A fan is a strong word. I might have. Oh. <laughs> I had to, to jab you back. You know, you got the. Come on. You know, me back. No, I, before we recorded, I, I think I used the word fan, so I'll, I'll stick to it. Uh, no, yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I love you guys' show. Um, you know, obviously, we have a common uh, friend, Heaton. And I remember when you guys, when, you, when I started listening to you and I, and I saw the name for the podcast, I was telling Heaton, shit, man, can we curse on this? We can, right? I yeah, think yeah, we yeah. Curse yeah, on the time. So yeah. I was like, shit, I love their name much more than I love our name. You know? Uh, <laughs> oh, did I just say that to Heaton? It must have lit him up. No, you know what? He, yeah, well, it's a t- totally different story when it comes to the brand. But to a large degree, what Heaton and I do are we're trying to get smarter while talking to each other. Um, so Seeking Wisdom is just a, a beautiful name for the podcast. And I love, I love the two of you uh, and... The, kind of the ideas that you guys are pushing forward in the marketplace in the world. And so I had to invite myself on the podcast to uh, have some fun and learn from you and hopefully seek some more wisdom. That's how you know Steli has skills. Steli is the only person who successfully invited himself on this podcast. I'm telling <laughs> you, <laughs> zero other people have to do it. Zero. But, but DC, I'll tell you a little like uh, behind the scenes hack on this. I've waited patiently for the right moment. Oh, yeah. And here's what happened. Listen, ah, that's here's how what you happened. Did it. That's Dave how you did it. reached out to me to do a little interview at a conference where we yes. both uh, spoke at. And then he had the nerve to st- stand me up, right? So we had an appointment. <laughs> I'm waiting there. I'm all excited. I put on my favorite T-shirt, and he's nowhere to be found. And I'm emailing him. I'm like, hey, yo, Dave, are we still doing this? And he emails me back, oh, shoot, I'm already on the way back to the airport. I had to uh, try to close a deal. You'd be proud of me, but let's reschedule another time. That's cold. So he he flipped it on you, Dave, and he used reciprocity yeah. on you. Man, he hit you with hey. multiple dimensions. Yeah, but but here's the deal. I know I know he still respects me because if it was anything other than closing a customer, which they are now a customer, by the way. Sh- I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Although he did, he he said some nice stuff to me in an email, and then like uh, instantly, I was like, okay, yeah, let's get him on. So let's. Do I love this. it. No, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of your take on the sales stuff, but I actually think let's talk about brand. You said that you said that like some of the stuff we've been talking about brand has. I don't I don't know if you said change your perspective or something you've been thinking about, but like you're a sales guy at the core. Like what? Let's talk about brand. What 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 did you tell us how you needed brand? Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, honestly, full disclaimer, like five years ago, when, uh, when anybody would approach me to talk about brand and how to build a brand, I was just translating this to bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. I, was just, I was just hearing, let's talk a little bit about bullshit because bullshit, yep. bullshit is really important in the marketplace. <laughs> and I want to spend an hour talking about bullshit. And uh, that was kind of my, my ears, you know, selectively would just translate that to that. 
So I, I always had um, a very little opinion uh, on that because it was this, I don't know, this nebulous thing for, for new companies, for startups, for small companies that were just starting out. To me, it seemed like brand was a time to waste time because it was so hard to measure. It usually meant a lot about like, you know, um, doing things that might not matter as much. You think about PR, thinking about going to big events and having, you know, big displays <laughs> and being a sponsor and doing things that, that you know, have a big billboard on, on, on a freeway, doing things that seem that, that like um, are nice for the ego and are fun to do, honestly, but maybe are not moving the needle for your business, right? That, that's how I used to think about it. And I even remember Heaton, any time on the startup chat that we talked about, content. Heaton always was, would mention, well, one of the really big important parts about doing content is brand. And I was agreeing with him, but honestly, I had no fucking idea what he meant. Like I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh-huh, yeah, I agree with you. But in hindsight, I realized I never really understood what all this meant, right? I, from coming from a sales perspective, I always cared about reputation, right? And reputation to me was always kind of something I had an easier time understanding, you know, what are people talking about when I'm not in the room? What are what you know? What is my worst moment? What if that was the only opinion, the only experience that people had with me? That was always the thing I really worried about. But brand was this thing I couldn't really grasp, and I didn't really want to think about. And today, you know, over the last few months, uh, a few things have happened. A, you guys have started talking a lot more about brand, and I've recognized and realized, and I want to give props to you that you have done with Drift an amazing job building a super vibrant and sexy and kind of hot brand. Like everybody, like you've created an energy around the company that goes beyond the product, the features, the the blog posts, you know, it doesn't go beyond all these little details. And I think that that has captured people's imagination and attention. The next thing that happened is that the more founders are reaching out to me today and asking me, to explain to them how close, uh, close it, how we became so successful in a space that's so crowded, the CRM space. Yep. yep. I started realizing uh, that brand played a big part. Huge part, I think. And and just because we didn't know that we were creating a brand uh, doesn't mean that we didn't do it, right? So now I've started explaining to people all the things we've done that created a brand that stood out, that helped us win in the market. Um, so now I'm slowly but surely I'm coming around to this and and you've played a part of it, Heaton has played a part of it, and then also me, I think, just maturing and realizing as I was trying to find answers to the question, why are we succeeding, coming back to the answer, I think we've done a really good job establishing a strong brand and a brand that people resonate with. I, I, I love, love that. that. D- DJ, first, uh, yeah. take his quote, put it on the website, Steli Effie, right there. <laughs> Boom. You got that. I'm going to sign all yeah. my emails that way. And then... No, I, I, I was actually gonna. I was actually gonna interview you back, DC, because Steli, I love that, and it, it's cool hearing your your perspective on it. Because I think that's actually like that's kind of where this whole thing started. DC, I, I think it'd be great to like follow that up with maybe t- talk about just even tell Steli back like why because it it's been that way. I think I think our brand is starting to poke through now, but this is actually we have been this focused on it since day one before we even had a product to sell and a website and anything like DC. I, maybe talk about talk about why you have cared and, and believe that this is the way to win like why why have you cared so much about brands since day one and the kind of the, the age that we live in today 
Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. I think the short answer is infinite supply. And in SaaS, we've hit the point of infinite supply. And Steli could tell you this owning a CRM company, right? Like there were days when you would compete with two CRM companies and then 10 and then 50. And then it seems like there's a hundred probably CRM companies. I'm sure maybe there's more. I don't even know how many there are, but like we're living through the days of like infinite supply and anyone with, you know, product hunt account could create, try to create a competitor, whether they last or not, it doesn't matter. But in terms of noise, uh, like anyone could get out there in terms of software. And so how do you defend yourself? And so when we were starting the company, we were thinking about that and like thinking like, well, what other markets have infinite supply? And for me, it was like the consumer packaged good market, right? It was like, you know, shampoo and, and face cream and, you know, detergent and all the stuff that we buy in the supermarket in the middle aisles. Those, that was the stuff that was infinite supply. So how do you differentiate? So I started to look at brand and that's when I got lost in the Ogilvy stuff and all that stuff and saying like, wait a second, like, you know, I'm, I'm a believer, like marketing is all about arbitrage. So you go where other people aren't going right now and you kind of revisit themes. And I thought like, wait, you know, brand was like this big thing that I never knew what it meant uh, 15, 20 years ago or, or longer, but that, that part of my career. And now I didn't feel like anyone was talking about it because of digital marketing. And it was all about lead gen, demand gen, this, that, measure that, you know, attribution, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, let's do the opposite. Let's go the opposite way because I think that's the way the world is going. And also because no one is talking about it. No one's writing a blog post about it. So maybe there's a little bit of arbitrage left in the market that we can go and seize because everyone's, uh, you know, busy with this highly measurable, highly repeatable thing, which by definition, if it's highly measurable and repeatable and scalable, like there's probably no arbitrage in it. So that's basically why we started down this road. But we didn't know, just like Steli was saying, like we didn't know what brand was or like what shape it would take. And then I started to look at companies like Steli's, like Close.io. I looked at MailChimp. I looked at, you know, early Zendesk. I looked at a lot of these companies. And the thing that I actually loved about all of them beyond the product was that they were building this thing, which I didn't know what to call it, but now I call a brand, and that I felt an emotional connection to them, even if I didn't use the product because of the way that they talked. And, you know, I've listened to Steli in the startup chat for a long time, and I've seen his videos, and I just like his personality, and I like his Israeliness about him, right? Because I'm a New Yorker, so I like that style. I like, like, in your face, let's go, let's get it done. I love that. And so I loved Steli and what he was doing outside of, you know, his company. And that's what made me passionate about brand. So all of these things, like, I think are coming together. And now we live in the age of brand. And if you're not building a brand right now, you're basically building a commoditized widget, software, product, you know, whatever it is. And there'll be no no, uh, premium for your product if you're doing that. I, I love it because like the other thing I think that doesn't get talked about a lot when we talk about brand is that it's really, this shit is really hard to fake. Like there is no, you know, you can pay anybody to write a blog post for you or, you know, yes. optimize some stuff on your website. Like I, and, and even, even, you know, code up a new feature and like, and clone whatever a competitor is doing. But like, I think our obsession with brand also comes from the fact that like, it's really hard. It it can be a moat for our business and it can also, it's really hard to fake it. And this is why actually like we've invested so heavily in this podcast. It's why we're investing in video, Instagram, like real videos of us, real pictures of us, because like you can't, 
you can't fake that. Like I, I can get on a video and you're going to say, this is really me. This is really the marketing person at Drift. And this is really DC, the CEO and founder. Like there is no faking that. And I think like it's 2018, like you, you and I, we're all more skeptical than ever as buyers. And the only people that I do business with are the ones I feel like really get me. And I think that's like what we're trying to achieve as a brand. Like we want people to be like, yeah, you know, they, they really get me. They really like, and, and that helps break down that door for that first conversation. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, to, to I, I believe that, you know, copying a feature, seeing a competitor's landing page and copying that or seeing a, a competitor or a player in the marketplace develop a feature that, that people like or people resonate with and then copying that, that's fairly simple to do, easier than ever before, right? But copying a point of view, copying a voice, uh, copying conviction, that's really hard to do. It's <laughs> very tough to fake, just like you said. And I think that, you know, self-awareness, self-love, these all things play part organizationally to building a really strong brand. You guys, you stand for something. You know who you are and who you aren't. And you know what to stand for. And you're not afraid to go out there and say it in a very strong way, deliver what you stand for in a really strong way. And that's what makes people either totally attracted to your brand uh, or, you know, might be pushing some people away. Mm -hmm. But that's something that I think that most te most companies that I meet, I meet so many SaaS companies and founders and software businesses, most of them, they don't have the self-awareness to know who are we truly and what do we stand for? You know, what, what, what makes us different from everybody else? What do we truly believe in? What are we willing to stand for? And then having the confidence and the self-love and self-acceptance to completely go all in on that. Right. Instead of being like, well, how can we be kind of middle of the road in a way that will not upset anybody? Let's not curse because some people will hate that. Um, let's not be too strong in our in our opinions because some people might not like it. And as you are, you know, uh, as you like the confidence as an individual or as a company and a team to stand for something and to know what you're really good at and what you're not. Um, it, it, I can't imagine how you can build a brand with that. So that makes it a really strong, unfair competitive advantage today. You know, what, what you were describing is basically everything that I've loved about, about you, about following you along, you know, virtually, uh, was about your strong conviction about you standing up for your, who you were. And it might piss some people off and it might get other people to love you. But I always say like, Hey, you know what you want? The, the enemy is indifference. The enemy is not hate. The enemy is like no one gives a shit about what you're doing or what you're building or who you, what you stand for. That's the enemy that all of us, uh, so many people actually move towards because they don't want to offend anyone. It's like you want haters and you want lovers because at least you, it's easier to convert a hater than you can convert someone who's indifferent about you and doesn't care. And, uh, and I think you were building a brand, even if you didn't know it, because that is your person. It seems like, at least virtually, that is your personality, right? Like from what I know, yeah. and you couldn't help but do that. Yeah, but you know what, DC? I also think that uh, I think it's tough to deal with the haters or the hate, right? It's yes. tough to deal with rejection. And I think coming back to the self-love and self-awareness part, if you're not, if you are lacking the confidence to believe in yourself and to be at peace with yourself, then the moment somebody throws a little bit of hate or shade your way, it's going to ruin your life, right? It's going to really, <laughs> it's going to really mess with your emotional household, right? It's going to like, yeah. and, and not to say that I enjoy it. If somebody sends me a hate mail, which doesn't happen that often, but once it happens, I don't like it. It's not necessarily my favorite thing in the world, but I get so much love, you know, and I have so many 
experience to draw from, and I think I know who I am more or less, that it doesn't completely destroy my self-image. It doesn't like ruin my life or completely occupy my mind uh, space. And I think that that's really important. And I've been teaching this in sales for a long time, coming back, making that connection here where, you know, I've always taught the follow-up, right? And the follow-up to me is like where winning happens, where all the value is created and follow up and follow through is really where nobody's competing with you. Yep. And oftentimes founders would ask me, well, Sally, but what if I annoy somebody? What if, you know, if I follow up with them four, five, six times, they really get angry with me. And I always told people and taught that, you know, in my personal philosophy is that I'm not in business to be loved. I'm in business to create value, right? To make things happen in the world. And if, you know, four out of 10 people, love me and work with me and we create tons of value together and six out of 10 people are slightly annoyed with me. That's much better to me than having 10 out of 10 people that are completely indifferent of my existence and nothing ever <laughs> happened. Right. Tell me back uh, to what you just said. Oh yeah. I love the, I love, I've heard your talk on, on the sales kind of follow-up process and I love, love, love it. I'd love for you to tell kind of this audience who may not have heard it, what your philosophy is here. Cause I love it. Yeah. So it, it, the follow-up uh, advice and philosophy that I teach is the highest ROI piece of advice I give. Just measured by the amount of, I get like four or five emails a day at this point, people t showing me we closed a, a quarter million dollar deal because we follow up 12 times and follow up, followed your advice. Uh, you know, we just raised money because we follow up, followed your follow-up advice. There's so much value created through it. And it's such a simple philosophy. My follow-up philosophy is that if I get in touch with somebody, if there's a, a positive interaction, a call, a meeting, um, whatever it is, some kind of an exchange that, she, that shows promise of both ends that there might be opportunity to work together. Once I get in touch with you and I follow up with you, if you go silent on me, I will follow up forever until I get a response. <laughs> I'm a very simple man, right? There's no complicated it. mathematical <laughs> formula here. It's forever. And people always ask me, Stella, really forever? Yes, forever. Like forever. Because in my mind, most people, when somebody goes silent on them, their interpretation is I'm being rejected or this person is annoyed by me or I'm not good enough. And so they stop, right? We all stop. We send two, three, four emails and then we go, oh, this person really hates me. They think my shoes suck. They think I'm ugly. Whatever story people make up in their mind, they feel really terrible about it. And they stop trying to get in touch and rekindle the conversation. In my mind, when you go silent on me, you just got busy, right? You have a life. Yeah, I'm not the center of your universe. You might have gotten sick. You might have problems with family or your spouse. You might, the, the business might be going through a crisis. Something else happened. You had a big email campaign and you have like thousands of emails in your inbox. And my email went to inbox Nirvana, never to be seen again. There's things that have happened that have stopped you from getting back to me. And it's my job to champion the conversation and the relationship until the timing is right. You know, and I tell this famous story oftentimes, there's this billionaire um, founder, I'm not going to name him, but his product is something everybody who listens to this podcast has, has uh, used before. And, uh, you know, this is seven years ago, we got introduced, I got introduced to this billionaire by a common friend to set up a meeting. And the billionaire replied and said, yes, I, I'd love to meet with you, Steli. So I emailed him, you know, enthusiastically and said, should we meet on Monday or Tuesday, this time or that time? Silence. Email another time. Nothing. And another time, nothing. It took me 48 emails, 48 follow-ups to get a response. You know what the response was? Stelly, thank you for your follow-up and follow-through. We had a big crisis overseas, so I was traveling. I'm just back in the Bay Area. Can you make it tomorrow at 1 p.m. in our office? 
Right. That's it. It only took 48 emails Amazing. to get that response. But I can't tell you how many incredible things I was able to accomplish, not because I'm smarter than others, because we know that's not true, not because I used some kind of a black belt sales technique, mind reading, hip, hypnotic pattern. No, I just follow up and follow through more thoroughly than anybody else that competes with me for people's attention. So to me, it doesn't matter if they tell me yes or no. No is good. Yes is better, obviously, but no is good as well. Both are clear outcomes. Maybe the that space of emptiness where nothing happened, we had a conversation with two calls and nothing ever happened afterwards. That's where startups go to die. That's where value goes to die. To me, that's the biggest heartbreak. So I try to never allow that uh, from happening. I, I love that. I can't, as a marketer, I can't tell you how many times I've sent that. I've sent the link to the podcast and the video to that <laughs> because I'm like, just follow up where everything will be fine. Steli followed up 48 times. Um, one one question, like one thing I want to dig into with you is like, all right, I get that. That's the follow-up approach, right? But that seems like, maybe it's not the opposite. That's persistence. But I want to talk about like the modern sales process. You've been doing, you know, you've, you've had Close.io for a couple of years now. You've been in the sales game for for longer than that. Like what, what's been the biggest thing that that's changed? Or maybe like if, if I were to ask you like, what, it, what do you think the modern sales process is today? Like I, I would love to, I would love to hear your thoughts on that coming at it from a sales perspective. Cause DC and I talk about it a lot, but like neither of us actually are doing sales. I'd love to talk about like the actual modern sales process with you. Yeah, before I get into that, uh, I'm not going to let you get away with the statement that neither of you guys are doing sales because you do yeah. all the time. <laughs> of course. We both know that. We do do sales all the time. Uh, the the prop the problem is like the you know there's there isn't a I don't have a I don't have a monthly number I just have a, 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 a agreement with DC that if I'm not also selling then shit's going to be I'm going to be in trouble so. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, obviously you're doing it well because you you know you you stood me up to close a deal and rightfully so, as we mentioned and established at the beginning of the episode. So damn, ice cold. <laughs> so let's let's talk about this a little bit. So they did listen. I, one of our one of our one of our reps listens to this. Shout out Mike Castillo. This was the deal that I bailed that I bailed on. I went upstairs. We helped close it. That's that's all you need to know. Okay, move on. There you go, Mike. <laughs> Mike, a big shout out to you. All right, so. Uh, happy to talk a little bit about like the modern sales process, but I, I, I'll give a caveat out. To me, the question has always been uh, not what is changing, you know, this month or next month or this year or next year uh, in sales, but uh, the question has always been what will never change in sales, right? What are the 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 proven, you know, fundamental truths that if you if you master them and if you excel at them individually as well as organizationally within your sales team or your company, you're always going to be crushing the competition that probably is going to be, um, you know, usually distracted by the shortcuts, the hacks, you know, FOMO. Oh, my God, this other company is implementing this new tactic to close some deals or this new tool set. And they're just going to be zigzagging while you're crushing it by having a North Star that's not going to be changing uh, every few months. So Honestly, like I love a lot of conversations that you guys had previously with humanizing, you know, humanizing a company that was the, the, the brand conversation we had. But humanizing the sales process to me is a really important part um, because as long, as long as we don't live in a world where computers buy and sell everything and make all decisions between themselves, right? Once the AI overlords rule everything – Anything I say is doesn't doesn't uh, you know doesn't uh, hold truth anymore. But until then, until uh, uh, until humans are still involved in making decisions, 
humans will always need help, both from a rational point of view, but also from an emotional point of view, right? I mean, rationally, giving people information, giving them all the tools they need and all the data to make good decisions, that's gonna, that is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the sales process, more so than it used to be. But there's also an emotional component to buying. It doesn't matter how rational your buy is. There's going to be an emotional component, some fear, some doubt, some uh, you know, conflicting interest within an organization. And you, as a salesperson or as a sales organization, you will have to have a high empathy level for that, for that emotional and human connection and know how to navigate that. Um, one thing that, I, that I'll put in, one framework that I teach um, of the modern seller and hopefully the modern sales team is the model of friendly strength, right? So if you think about a quadrant, um, you know, th- this comes from some psychology book I read many years ago. I don't even know which one it was, but there's a simple quadrant to like categorize humans in, in four basic archetypes. One is hostile and strong. The, the, the other one is friendly and strong. And then below, these are the top two quadrants. Then the uh, lower two quadrants are, um, you know, hostile and and unfriendly and weak and unfriendly. If you think about hostile and strong, that's the original sales master. That's the wolf of Wall Street. That's the bully, the hyper aggressive sales rep that was bullying people into submission, into purchasing whatever they wanted. The people that were out there to crush the competition, to steal money from the customers. These people succeeded because they were strong because they bullied weaker prospects into buying, but they did it in a way that destroyed value for their companies and for the marketplace. And that was acceptable or at least feasible in a world where you didn't have transparency. Today, this is less and less feasible, right? Today, if I, if I you know, push a prospect into buying clothes, the next day they wake up and they have buyer's remorse. They can just cancel because there's so much subscription software out there. They could go and give me a bad review. They can use social media. They can really damage me in a way that that I can't erase anymore. So that model is dying out. It still exists in certain industries, the hostile and strong sales model, but it is dying and rightfully so. You would think the exact opposite of it, the, the, the friendly and weak, you would think that is the model of the future. You would think these people are the, the, the most um, loved people on the, on the planet, but unfortunately, they're not. Th- those are the people that people take advantage of, and nobody wants to buy from, from weak people, no matter how friendly they are. Right. Um, to give you a good example, this is maybe your least favorite arts teacher in preschool or something. Somebody that always apologizes that they exist. They always whisper so you can't quite understand them. They make you feel weird. And antisocial dynamics dictate that we are we are actually going to become aggressive towards these people and take advantage of them. And we don't even know why. It's because of the way they they act. The ideal model, and I think the model of the present and the future, is the friendly and strong model of sales. To me, somebody that's friendly and strong, friendly means they want to help the customer. They want to create value in the marketplace. They want to do what's right, but they're doing it from a position of strength. And the best model I can think of is one that's funny, which is being a good parent, but I'll put that aside. The other model that might be more translatable for most people, especially the ones that don't have families, is a good doctor, right? If you go to a good doctor... You want somebody that's friendly, that's empathetic, that will first ask lots of questions, listen, and truly try to diagnose what is going on and can I really help you and how can we help you. But once the doctor, the expert make, made their judgment call, their diagnosis, once they know what you have, they're not asking you, they're telling you what to do, right? It's not a, an open discussion more, well, I think you have, you might have cancer, I'm not really sure, it could be this, it could be that, 
some people say you should, you know, uh, you should, uh, you know, deal with it in this way, but other people say something else. You know, there's many opinions. I'm not really sure what to do. What is, what do you think we should do here? And you don't want to hear any of that shit, right? You went to the doctor to get somebody that's an expert that knows more about this topic than you. You want somebody to tell you what to do and how to fix this problem, right? My, my older brother, brought his little son to, to a hospital this Sunday. He was really sick and had high fever. And he encountered a weak and friendly doctor and he was super frustrated. He was like, this doctor was like, I don't really know what to do here. I'm not really his doctor. Usually, you know, I'm, I'm a holistic doctor and I use all this alternative medicine and I'm not sure if we should use this or should just wait till Monday and bring him back to the doctor. And she, was, she was having a life crisis in front of my brother. My brother was like, what is this shit? Like, I have a little boy that's suffering and I just need an expert opinion on what to do here. And I don't want to hear your life crisis on not knowing what to do and being like, you know, in doubt with yourself. Um, to me, friendly and strong is how the best sales teams of today and tomorrow are being built and how the best salespeople act. You want to have empathy. You need to be out there to do what's right for the customer. You need to be listening carefully and well, which is the hardest skill to learn in sales and always been the hardest skill. Most people just ask questions to get through a, a, their to-do list, but they never really pay attention. But if you ask the right questions, if you pay attention, if you truly care, and if you make the prospect feel truly understood, how many times does it even happen that you talk to somebody and at the end you feel completely understood by them? If you're at that point and then you are telling them from a position of strength what to do and why to do it and how to do it, and you're not, it's not a debate anymore. You're the expert and you're taking charge. You're always going to have uh, people that will want to buy from you. You're always going to create an incredibly strong rep reputation and brand and people will want to come back to you because they know you have their best interest in mind, but they also know you're strong, you're successful, you're convinced, you're comfortable and confident. And that's an incredibly attractive trait in a world that's so busy, so noisy, and where nobody knows what to do and what to recommend and what opinion to have or not to have. That is awesome, I love it. Brother. Stelly, uh, DC and we I have been went, messaging each other behind church. the scenes during this whole talk. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm done. I'm <laughs> no, no. The, the the real thing was like I messaged GC and I was like, I hope he doesn't give it all away now because we need him to speak at Hypergrowth in San yeah, Francisco, which it, will brother. be amazing because you should go deep on that. Let's do it. Um, okay, so here's like, look, we could talk forever, but but I want to wrap and I want to wrap with let's something wrap strong, that, no. like let's go a big a, bi a rap, Let's wrap strong. A big theme on seeking wisdom and really why we started this in the first place was all about learning. So I don't know if it's books, you know, certain books you've recommended, books that have had the biggest impact on your career, books that you've given away the most. I would love to just learn about like, you know, how you learn and, and basically like what your, what your routine is, how you bring that into your daily and weekly life. Yeah, what a beautiful question. I share deep love for learning. Books saved my life, literally. Um, so that, but that's a totally different story. So, so, so I love learning with a passion and I do read a lot. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of books that are really near and dear to my heart. One uh, that might be an unusual recommendation on this podcast is a book on mindfulness from uh, John Kabat-Zinn, um, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's a small book. It's a book that I find a lot of startup entrepreneurs and tech people love, enjoy, and have an easy time reading and digesting. It's not super esoteric. It's very practical, very short, but beautifully written and very, very thoughtful. Um, it's a super impactful book for me. And then the so that's one book recommendation I'll throw out there. The other thing that I'll throw out there, which is an unusual recommendation when it comes to books, is one thing I love to do and I, I find a lot of value in, and I've recommended lots of people, is 
go back to books you've read, you know, many years ago, three, five, 10 years ago, that you still remember had an impact on you and read them again. Um, I find that books change, uh, books change as I'm changing. And, I, and if I read a book that I read five years ago, it's going to be a completely different experience. I mm. will be mind blown that I was like, I could swear this was not in the book five years ago, right? this, but it's the this same is, fucking book, right? This is what, this is what DC would tell me all the time before I really started reading a lot, which is like, yeah, because I, I hated, I, I didn't like reading. And then, and now like I've understood that like books have different meanings based on the problems and things that you're working on or, or going through at the time. And so like, you know, whether it's a book about marketing, about mindfulness, like you have to be, you have to be ready for it and you have to be like in the right frame of mind. And all of a sudden the stuff that you didn't know was in the book is going to hit you. And we talk about this a lot, different books, you know, you might read them two or three different times and get two or three different things out of them. Yeah. I love that. I do this with books that I really loved and with books I really hated and I couldn't read. And funny enough, sometimes, you know, oftentimes what happens is I try to read the book and I'm like, I, that, this doesn't, I cannot read, this is too much work, it's not the right time. And then three years later, I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is amazing, this is so easy to read. And it's just, I changed. It's a different, my life has different context. So the book is changing, the, what I can get out of it. And I, yeah. I find that people are always searching for more and more new books. And I see a tremendous value in going back to old books and revisiting them that can be tr tremendously powerful for me. Damn, boy. Amen. Steli's taking me to church today. Woo, this is <laughs> fired up. Steli, you need to be my coach. Be my motivational coach. Let's go. Hey, we, Let's we get the need money. To, we, you, you know, this is a give and take. I love you guys, and I'm getting a lot of the conversation. And we, we, should, we should talk uh, regularly. This was Let's a do ton it. of Let's fun. Do it. A ton of fun. I love it. Let's do it. So if you love Steli as much as I do, if you've gone to church as much as I have in this episode, please go check out Close.io, follow Steli, listen to the startup chat with Steli and Heaton, and leave a six-star, you heard me right, six-star review for us only. only. Let me know. Send me a note directly and to Steli if Apple's hating on us and keeping us from getting six-star glory. And leave a six-star <laughs> and talk when you, when you shout out Steli on Twitter say Steli I'll see you at Hypergrowth let's go Woo! he's at Steli S-T-E-L-I on Twitter follow him now love it thank you Steli thank you this was amazing thanks guys <laughs>